join me in a uh, prayer of illumination, prayer of scripture. Father in heaven, as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts so that we can receive your words. We pray that we would receive them openly from you and that we would be receptive to your instruction. We pray that we may not be rigid as stone, but like clay, that you would mold us to be the witnesses in our community that you call us to be. May your word and your will flow from us and unto our community this week. Amen. Thrown into the lake of fire. 
Thank you, Hilda. <clears throat> this morning's sermon was prepared by Jack Vanderhoof. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, Randy Elkhorn, in his book entitled Heaven, tells this story. Several years ago, Ruthanna Metzger, a professional singer, was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. According to the invitation, the reception would be held on, to- on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, the northwest's tallest skyscraper. She and her husband, Roy, were very excited about attending. At the reception, waiters in tuxedos offered luscious hors d'oeuvres and exotic beverages. The bride and groom approached a beautiful glass and grass staircase that led to the top floor, followed by their guests. At the top of the stairs, a maitre d' with a bound book greeted the guests outside the doors. May I have your name, please, he said. I am Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. He searched the M's. I'm not finding it. Would you spell it, please? Ruthanna spelt her name slowly. After searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. There must be some mistake, Ruthanna replied. I'm the singer. I sang for this wedding. The gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to a waiter and said, show these people to the service elevator, please. The Metzgers followed the waiter past beautifully decorated tables laden with shrimp, whole smoked salmon, and magnificent carved ice sculptures. Adjacent to the banquet area, an orchestra was preparing to perform, the musicians all dressed in dazzling white tuxedos. The waiter led Ruthanna and Roy to the service elevator and ushered them in. He pushed G for the parking garage. After locating their car and driving several minutes in silence, Roy reached over and put his hand on Ruthanna's arm. Sweetheart, what happened? When the invitation arrived, I was busy, Ruthanna replied. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I was a singer. Surely I could go to the reception without returning the RSVP. That story begs a question for us. Do you know for sure that you'll be going to the great wedding banquet in heaven? when you die or when Christ returns? Is it possible to know for sure that we are saved and are going to heaven? Can we know whether or not your or my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Does it matter? Is it necessary to know if I'm going to heaven? Can I not live my life to the fullest here on earth and wait and see what happens in the life to come? What is life like if we do not have some idea where we are going? 
What is life like if we do not have hope or confidence for the future? On what ground is that hope grounded? In the Bible, we read about a book that God has with his names, with names recorded in it. This book with these names has something to do with our confidence in going to heaven. There is an interesting development in Scripture regarding this book. In Exodus 32, we read of God's comments to Israel through Moses. In response to the worshiping of the golden calf, God made it unmistakably clear, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Somewhere, God has a book with people's names in it. If you are in God's book, you have a place in his presence and a promise of blessing. If God blots your name out of his book, you are separated from God and removed from his blessing. Can we know if our names are recorded? God says to his people Israel that whoever has sinned against him will have their names removed. Well, that doesn't give anyone much hope. It was a clear message to Israel that they must trust the Lord and honor the commands of the covenant. They could not take for granted their privileged place as his chosen people. They must honor the will of God in their lives or they will lose their identity as God's people. But then we read from Psalm 87. There we see how the story progresses. In that psalm, the Lord talks about the glory of Zion, the central city of his people. He talks about those who live within her walls, which is to say those who are part of his people. This is not a reference to the population of a specific city. Zion is a symbol of those who belong to the Lord. The psalmist goes on to list Babylon and Philista and Tyre and Cush and Egypt. These were the enemy nations around Israel. These were the Gentiles who were outside of the identity of the covenant of people of God. They had certainly sinned against God because they tried to destroy God's people. Why would they have a place in God's city? Why would God include their names in the registry of the people? Because God is a God of grace. His intention is that people of all nations will be part of the people who are in a relationship with him. The Lord is saying to the people of Israel through this psalm that they do not have a monopoly on being loved by God. The relationship with God is not strictly one that is made possible by one's birth parents. We are in a relationship with God because of his gracious love. Jump ahead to Philippians 4, verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. The Apostle Paul has a distinct name for the book, the book of life. He believed that his name was written in that book along with his co-workers. We know that Paul considered his co-workers to be those who believed 
in Jesus Christ, and we're living the truth of the gospel faith. There are at least six references to the book of life in that last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. In a letter to the church in Sardis, chapter 3, the Lord says, Those who are victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their names from the book of life, but will acknowledge their names before my Father in heaven and his angels. You mean that my name might be in the book of life, but God might blot out my name? Does this mean that I cannot know for sure if I'm saved? How do I know whether my name is in the book of life or not? One thing we come to understand from all the references to having names written in the book of life is that this is, from start to finish, the unmerited act of God. Let me say that again. That this is, from start to finish, the unmerited act of God. We do not earn our place in that book. We cannot buy our place in that book. We do not get our names in that book because of some family connection or heritage. God writes our names in the book of life, or he doesn't. The thing that matters is the sovereignty of God. Salvation is God's work, and he does it in his way. At the same time, we read throughout the Bible that an equally strong statement of human responsibility. We can know that our name is written in that book of life. That is, we can know that we are saved, but that does not give us the right to become slack or lazy in living out our faith. We, not, we cannot take the attitude that I've arrived, I've got my ticket, I can coast from here on in. The Heidelberg Catechism states this in a very direct way. The question is asked whether or not the teaching of being saved by the grace of God alone will make people indifferent and wicked. The answer is a clear no. It is impossible, it continues, it is impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. That's from question answer 64. God saves us by grace. He chooses to write our names in the book of life. We live in thanksgiving and obedience as an expression of this new life of grace in our hearts and to show our praise and thanks to God for his grace. That is one very obvious clue to the assurance that our names are are written in the book of life. Are you living for God? Do you love God? Is the Spirit of God living in your heart and moving you to live a life of thankfulness to God? Is the love of God central to your being and action? Only someone who is alive in the Lord, who belongs to the Lord, will live in such a way. Your actions will not earn you a place in heaven, but they can be a sign already now that you will be spending eternity with the Lord you love. Be sure of that. Then we also read in Revelation 20 about two sets of books. The first books are opened and the people are judged by what they have done. This seems to parallel the parable Jesus told about the final judgment in Matthew 25. 
All the nations of the people gather before the king who separates them as shepherds separates sheep and goats. To those on the left facing judgment, the king says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me <clears throat> you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. How do I know that I did enough to honor the will of the Lord and King? Did I care for people properly? What about when I walked past that person on the street and didn't throw any coins into his cup? What if I'm not the kind of person to make a lot of visits to hospitals? Or if I've never been to a prison? Will God hold that against me on the Day of Judgment? Will this come back to haunt me? It's a very stark picture. The first books to be opened are the record books containing all the evidence the court needs if people are to be judged by their deeds. If. But the judgment is no automatic affair. It's not something that can be carried out by any angelic clerk with enough arithmetic to recognize who had credit and who had a debit account. What the record books contain is determinable what God decides to remember and what God decides to forget. Keep in mind the words of Jeremiah 31, verse 34. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Even then, before the ledgers are scrutinized by the auditors, another book is open, whose contents must be thrown in the balance. This is the book of life. In Revelation 17, verse 8, we are told the names in this book have been written there from the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1, we read that he, God, chose us in him, that is Jesus, from before the creation of the world. This book belongs to the Lamb. The Lamb is the one who, was, who has been slaughtered for the forgiveness of sin for all God's chosen people. Therefore, into the scale of our favor are set the gracious predestining purpose of God and the redemptive love of him who died to ransom people for God. Although believers are responsible for their actions, we are forgiven through Christ. Although believers are responsible for their actions, we are forgiven through Christ. For believers, God's grace goes hand in hand with human responsibility. Paul exhorts his readers to continue the work, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Scripture puts divine election on one hand and human responsibility on the other, but it refrains from solving the mystery of where these two meet. God has graciously chosen his people through Christ which is evident in the names of his people recorded in the book of life. They keep the word of God and live by the testimony of Jesus. And they love God's commandments and cherish his precepts. They are the Lord's faithful witness 
even to the point of death. And they perform good works to show their thankfulness to God so that his name is honored and praised. What about the idea of having one's name blotted out of the book of life? How do we know that this hasn't happened? Let me try to explain it this way. Those whose names are not in the book of life are those who have no interest in God or have lived in opposition to God. They are the people who deny God or work against the love of God. They have no desire to be with God or experience the presence of God in their lives. About such people, the Lord says in the Bible, they will receive what they desire, an eternity without God. Having said that, let us be careful that we do not stand in judgment over anyone to declare the eternal fate of anyone. Let us not predetermine someone's final fate. The final decisions lay in the hands of the judge. With the Apostle John, we can be content to leave them there. We may have great confidence in the wisdom and justice of those decisions and not accuse God of undue severity. Having said that, anyone who is concerned with whether or not their names are written in the book of life is obviously someone who has a desire to be in a living relationship with God. Anyone who is concerned about whether they have offended God or fully obeyed him is obviously someone who has a desire to live in the love and grace of God. Such a desire can only be evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in one's heart. Consider the words of Jesus recorded in John 6:37. All whom the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. What if I sin? There's forgiveness. Acknowledge and recognize the love that is in your heart and know that this is God at work in you. That brings us back to the question with which the sermon began. Do you know for sure that you'll be going to heaven when you die or when Christ returns? Is it possible to know for sure that we are saved and going to heaven? Can I know whether or not my name is written in the Lamb's book of life? The answer is a resounding yes. Is that being presumptuous? No. We can know for sure because God is at work. It is God's work. God has saved us. God has written our names in that book. I know my name is there because I love the Lord. It is only his renewing work that could make it possible for me to love him. God would not work in me if my name was not in his book. I know that I am not perfect. I know that I do not obey the Lord perfectly. I do not know where my life will go or what I will do in the future. But I know that God is gracious and forgiving. He will forgive my sin again and again as he has done so already. That is not permission or a license to sin, but a comfort that I belong to him in life and in death. This is something worth living for. We know that we live in the presence of God and in the assurance of his love every day. We know that we have a glorious eternity in his presence waiting for us. We do not have to live our lives on earth in uncertainty and fear. We may live in the fullness of joy 
and confidence, for this is God's work of grace. We may live our lives to the fullest, overflowing with joy, because of God's work of grace. Do you know the Savior? Our song of response is how vast the benefits divine. 